Well, welcome to Thornhill Baptist Church. I'm Pastor Ryan. I'm the lead pastor here. So glad that you're able to join us today. And just as we continue to journey through the book of Ephesians, we will be uh, studying from chapter 5, verses 6 through 21. Uh, Here is Paul's words. Let no one deceive you with empty words, for for because of these things, the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Therefore, do not be partakers with them, for you were formerly darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light, for the fruit of the, of the light consists in all goodness and righteousness and truth, trying to learn what is pleasing to the Lord. Do not participate in the, in the unfruitful deeds of darkness, but instead even expose them, for it is disgraceful even to speak of the things which are done by them in secret. By all things, but all things become visible when they are exposed by the light, for everything that becomes visible is light. For this reason it says, Awake, sleeper. And arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Therefore, be careful how you walk, not as unwise men, but as wise, making the most of your time, because the days are evil. So then do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And do not get drunk with wine, for that is dissipation. But be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody with your heart to the Lord always giving thanks for all things in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ to God, even the Father, and be subject to one another in the fear of Christ. Let's pray. Lord, we are grateful for you. And, and Lord, as we consider this, this idea of walking in light and darkness, we, we recognize that there's a lot of darkness in our world. And, and Lord, for some of us, there may be darkness in our lives and in our hearts. God, I pray that you would expose that today that you would help us to walk in your light and walk in your truth today, Jesus. Would your words be led by me? Or would, you, would, would my words be led by you? <laughs> and Lord, I pray that you would, that I pray that you would, you would move in the hearts of, of each of us. In your name I pray, amen. Well, I don't know about you, but one of the best things in the world for me, uh, and maybe you can relate to this, is a good night's sleep. Where you go to bed at a decent hour, and as soon as your head hits the pillow, you are out. And you wake up the next morning feeling refreshed, rejuvenated, and like you're just ready to tackle whatever the day has in store for you. Last night, for me, was not one of those sleeps. It was restless, I dreamt a lot, and that's actually pretty consistent for me the, the, the night of, of whenever I preach. I usually have a pretty terrible sleep the night before. For some people, though, sleeping is a major problem, where it takes a while before they can fall asleep. Some are restless. Some have restless leg syndrome where their legs jerk when, they, when they're finally relaxed. Others have medical conditions like insomnia. In December 1963, a 17-year-old boy named Randy Gardner, he was, he was preparing for a science fair project for, for high school. And he was, his test was to see how long he could stay awake for and what would the effects of that be on his body. So he stayed awake for a whopping 264 hours straight. Doing the quick math, that is 11 straight full days of staying awake. He set, in, he set the world record. Now unfortunately, there are no ways to track the, world rec- rec- the record for the world's longest sleep. Although when I was a teenager, I feel like I could have probably competed in that competition and held my own. To give you an idea of how much I love sleep, 
Uh, one day when I was a teenager, I was, I was waiting for, I went over to a friend's house. He hadn't arrived to his place yet, so I was just waiting for him. And so I just laid on his front porch on his cement, cement pad and just hung out there waiting for him to show up, kind of hanging out in the sun and just enjoying the warmth. Uh, what I didn't realize was that my friend had forgotten that I was meeting him. And so he went over to another buddy's house and, and, and I fell asleep on his cement pad uh, for about three and a half, four hours until his parents rolled up, wondering why I was asleep on their front step. I remember a few years ago, the church I was serving at, we, we had a church meeting to discuss some very important issues that would have helped resolve some unaddressed problems within the church. And there was one gentleman specifically who seemed to be creating much of the conflict at that point. Prayerfully, as, as the pastors of the church, we, we hoped that God would open his eyes and, and he would repent. Unfortunately, during the meeting, he actually fell asleep in the middle of it. Disappointing, to say the least. One of the pastors who was part of the team, he, he, he made this observation that when someone falls asleep, when the Spirit of God is moving like it was that night, it kind of speaks to where their heart is at. Now, before I jump too far into judgment, I have to realize that sleep has gotten me into trouble as well. A few years ago, Natalie and I were having a, a fairly serious conversation at the time, and I don't recall what we were talking about at this point, but at the time it was important. And as Natalie vulnerably, openly, honestly poured out her heart to me and expressed her frustrations about me not listening or something, I mean, I wasn't really paying attention, I kept getting more and more comfortable. To the point that as, as she was sharing, I was beginning to completely recline myself out on the couch, trying to stay engaged in what was so important to her at that point, until I realized that Natalie was no longer on the couch, but instead she had just given up trying to talk to me because her voice was quickly being drowned out with my snoring. Lost a few brownie points that day. Paul, though, in his message to the Ephesians in chapter 5, verse 14, writes this. For this reason, it says, Awake, sleeper, and arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Throughout the book of Ephesians, Paul uses the language of light and darkness and, waking and walking in the illuminated path. He continues this theme in chapter 5, but includes now the analogy of someone who is awake versus someone who is asleep. If you've ever been asleep and suddenly in the middle of darkness, someone flips the light on, the light switch on, and it's bright. It takes a minute to adjust to the light. This sudden perspective is disorientating. Because it's new and unfamiliar. And initially, it's, it's uncomfortable because it, it, it hurts. And there's very little about the light that is comforting initially. Especially when you're comfortable in the dark. Paul is using this analogy of the darkness to describe those people who are living a life contrary to Scripture and to the will of God. He calls those people the world. The world represents those people who aren't just actively opposing and resisting God, but also those who are passively ignoring Him too. Now, as I said, I like to sleep, which means that I like being in the dark so that it helps me to improve my sleep. But that's the point here, that the active role that our desires take as well, where we begin to embrace the areas of our lives that make us comfortable, that satisfy what I want, 
that draw me into a deeper level of comfort and self-satisfaction to the point that my desires are about indulging myself. The Bible calls that type of self-centric decisions sin. It's missing the mark of what God wants because we're too busy actively pursuing what we want. The reality, though, is that for all of us, as much as there is discomfort and it's disorientating when the lights are turned on, we all know that the light is much better than the darkness. If we had to walk around life stumbling around in the darkness, unable to see what was going on around us, just bumping into different things, we'd be unable to see or experience what's going on around us. We would miss so much. But the light exists so that we can experience the life that is happening in us and around us. Paul contrasts the darkness and sin with Jesus and the light. That through Jesus, we experience the light. That we begin to see a perspective so much broader than our own and the world around us. Chapter 5, verse 8 points us to the reality that Jesus is this light that shines on us who are asleep. It's Jesus that shifts our perspective from asleep to awakened. Now, within the New Age movement, they have used this language of, of awakened to suggest that there is a spiritual enlightenment that can be achieved. But the ironic thing about awakening within the Christian movement, the difference between awakening and the Christian movement, is that it has nothing to do with what we can achieve or accomplish. But that real awakening is an acknowledgement and a recognition that Jesus has already achieved it. It's that type of awakening that we open our eyes to the possibility that we don't awaken based on our own merits. But instead, Jesus becomes this, this spiritual alarm clock for us that alerts us to the reality that we were asleep and that it's now time to awaken. And it's through Jesus that Jesus takes us from this old way of life and living and opens our eyes, awakens us to a new alternative that maybe our lives could look different if our eyes were opened by the light shining around us. Jesus says in John chapter 8, verse 12, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Through Jesus, we begin to awaken to a life that impacts and influences how we live. Now last week, we considered Paul's words to imitate Jesus. So this week, I decided to do an experiment to make my point. So I got my kids to, to hide from my presence. I just got them to go around the corner. And we played an imitation game. I told them, I want you to replicate everything that I do. And their first question was, well, can we look at you? And I said, no, you just need to know what I'm doing. And they said, that's dumb. I said, do it anyways. And so the, the first thing I did was I touched my nose. And I said, what are you guys doing now? And they said, nothing. We don't know what we're supposed to do. And then I plugged my ears. And I said, now what are you doing? And they said, we're holding an apple. And then I stuck out my tongue. I said, now what are you doing? And they said, we're shaking hands. And then I held my fingers together. And I said, now what are you doing? And they said, Dad, this game sucks. This may not come as a surprise to you, but my kids are not very good at the imitation game if they can't see me. 
If you have kids or grandkids, you could try with them as well. They'll likely find it as boring and terrible and lame as my kids did, but give it a shot. It is so much easier to imitate someone when we can see them, when we can watch what they are doing. My kids thought the, imit- the, the idea of imitating someone without being able to see them was dumb. The light allows us to imitate the model we are following consistently. It allows us to make sure that we are able to duplicate what's, what they are doing. As we know, though, that as we wake up to the brightness of the light shining in the darkness, there is an adjustment period where it takes time for us to acclimate to our surroundings as we adjust to what's going on around us. A couple of weeks ago, we needed to take our dog Charlie to the vet. Charlie is our 70-pound golden doodle. He had gotten an infected dew nail. That's just the nail on the side of his, of his leg. And the vet instructed us to make sure that he didn't lick at the infection so that, so that it would make it worse. So we needed to wear one of those, he needed to wear one of those cones that basically looked like it made it look like he was wearing a lampshade on his head. So for the next week or so, Charlie wore this goofy-looking lampshade around his head. Unfortunately for him, he's clumsy enough as it is, but he was completely incapable of walking anywhere without catching his cone on something as he walked past it. Whether it was the wall, I mean our walls are all banged up at this point. Whether it was someone's leg as he walked past him and suddenly catch his head. Whether it was the couch. He had a complete inability to navigate his way through the house. He was completely hindered by this cone of shame around his neck. But once he had the cone removed, once the, once the lampshade was removed from his head, he was free. He was liberated. He was able to go wherever he wanted without tearing up the walls, completely unhindered. Just like us. As we begin to orientate ourselves to the light of Jesus inside of us, it begins to illuminate for us how to live our lives in this newfound freedom. Paul gives us three specific ways that I think help us to walk in the light. One, redeem the time. Two, understand the will of the Lord. And three, be filled with the Spirit. Paul says in verse 15 and 16, Therefore, be careful how you walk, not as unwise men, but as wise, making the most of your time, because the days are evil. I think what we see here from Paul is the concept of the tyranny of the now. Now, you have to remember that at this particular point in the first century, Christians were anticipating and expecting that Jesus would return and bring his followers to heaven. They were expecting the, 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 the new resurrection to, to happen imminently. There was this growing and building anticipation that Jesus' return was imminent. So from Paul's perspective, we see his urgency demanding that the Christian church continue to live their lives urgently declaring, revealing, and living out the kingdom of of heaven on earth. The Greek word Paul uses here for time in this particular passage in verse 16 is the word kairos, which actually means opportunity. And some translations capture that. The idea behind this is that Paul is creating a distinction between linear linear time and moments in time. Linear time is what we operate in today, Seconds, minutes, hours, days, weeks, etc. The Greek word for linear time is chronos. Here, though, Paul is identifying that we all encounter different points in time throughout our lives, good or bad. We have these moments in our lives in, throughout, the, throughout each day, throughout each week, throughout each month, year. 
It's in those moments that God uses to reveal Himself to us. In those, in those kairos moments that helps us to pause in the, middle, in the midst of the chronos, the linear time, and begin to identify where and how God is at work and what He is up to. And so those moments that we don't necessarily respond to a situation that we wanted to. Those, those moments where we are excited and pleased with what's happening around us, they, be, they can become a fleeting moment and then it's just gone. But if we recognize that if we, if we make the most of our time, if we make the most of those every moment, that kairos moment, we begin to recognize that God has divinely orchestrated that specific moment in time and might be using it to shed some light in an area of our life that we need his light to shine. Where we all experience moments in our lives that are significant moments. Those, those watermark moments that, that make it easier to identify when the light is on. Where it feels like maybe in that moment, God is shining the high beams on in your life and just trying to get your attention. He's saying, hey, over here, pay attention. Don't miss this. And some of those are easier to identify than others. But what if God was trying to get our attention on an ongoing, regular basis in the daily monotony of life? How do we do that? How do we make the most of every moment? I think one of the most effective ways to identify Kairos moments in our lives is by identifying those moments where we're happy, sad, disappointed, angry, excited, hurt, whatever that, maybe that emotional response has created in you, that we recognize that, that what is happening in the midst of that circumstance that is, that is causing that res- response, and as we, as we acknowledge that and recognize it, that we actually begin to invite God into those moments. That, that we recognize that these are just more than just coincidences, or more than just moments in chronos, moments in time but that they are divine encounters with the light of the world where we just stop and then we begin to ask, God, what are you wanting to teach me in this moment? Where we take a step out of, out of this moment, out of, this, out, of this, out of the busyness of life, say, God, what are you trying to teach me in this Kairos moment? How can I respond to this situation or circumstances more like you? And what this reminds us is that through these Kairos moments, it builds our strength. It renews us. It comforts us and offers hope that God is at work even when it's harder to identify His light shining. As Paul talks about in the next chapter, we we are part of a war. That we cannot always see this war happening around us. But when we engage in those Kairos moments, what it does is it equips us for the war that you and I are currently in. We recognize that the world we live in right now is broken. That there's woundedness, there's anger, there's hurting. As followers of Jesus, when we engage in those kairos moments, we don't hide from the brokenness of this world or run from it. Rather, we live in it and reveal an alternative lifestyle that is rooted in the light of Jesus. When we make the most of the opportunities around us and start to listen so that we can identify where Jesus is moving in the midst of this broken world and we can begin to experience his hope in our lives.
we can begin to live out that hope in, his, in, this, in, the, in our lives. That even though it may seem like an empty chasm, an empty abyss, we can begin to see spots of Jesus in the Kairos moments in our lives. If you've ever driven through the Crowsness Pass, you've driven past a little town site called Frank. Frank was, uh, was, was once a small town that was destroyed by an avalanche over 100 years ago. And as you drive through it, there is rocks the size of trucks on either side of the highway. And the amount of rock and devastation as this portion of mountain swept down onto this town is, is astounding. But one of the things that I'm always amazed at when I drive through Frank is the trees. Where it seems like there's no possible way that life could survive amidst all of this rock and devastation. There's a tree there. There's a tree there. And just different spots sporadically placed throughout this, this landscape sprouting in the middle of nothing. I think that's where we begin to see the similarities to those Kairos moments. Just like God, when there seems like there's no possible way, God finds a way and says, here I am, don't forget about me. And he shines his light in our lives and in this world. Now during this pandemic, I really believe that the church has been one of the voices that God has been using to be a voice of hope and steadiness. As followers of Jesus have, have seen this as a Kairos moment and have been able to identify the ways in which God has been on the move. This is one of the, has been one of those obvious moments where God has been shining his light on the planet and saying, here I am, don't forget about me. And the church hasn't diminished from it. Instead, it's actually, because, because of this, it's actually multiplied where we no longer meet in a building together. Instead, the church has begun to look beyond its walls and begun to live out and see Jesus at work outside of this building. Now, I've often wondered in my silent reflections, how would the church, the global church, TBC, respond if we didn't have this building? If we didn't have a building to meet in? Well, apparently, we would thrive. Apparently, God would continue to shine his light in this world. Apparently, God would continue to wake people up from the brokenness that so much of this world is asleep in. Another way that you and I can walk in the light is by understanding what God wants of us. Paul continues in verse, 20, sorry, in verse 17. Do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. As we consider the importance of identifying what God is up to in the Kairos moments of life. The most effective way to do that is through prayer, reading God's word, interacting and processing our experiences with other people who love Jesus as well. For most of us, we would say that these are incredibly important disciplines. That, shine, that, sh that as we do these things, they shine the light in our lives that begin to allow us to listen to the voice of God, that allows us to interact with the Holy Spirit on an intimate level. But these disciplines are only a means to an end. These disciplines are intended to help us experience closeness to Jesus. They're intended to shine light in our lives. Earlier this year, the lights in my garage burnt out. And as we've discussed, wandering around in the darkness isn't helpful, it's not safe, especially when you're trying to operate power tools. Instead, I, I decided I wanted light, and I wanted lots of it. So I went to the hardware store, 
and I bought these super LED lights that blast out 10,000 lumen in multiple directions. I mean, it is so bright and so warm. Now I can get a tan while I'm working in the garage. Now, was the goal for me just to go and buy some lights? No. I could have went to the dollar store and bought some cheapo lights and, and that would have been fine. But the goal for me was that I wanted light everywhere, in every crack of the room. And that's the same with these disciplines. We pray, we fast, we read scripture, we engage in meaningful conversations with other Christians, we engage in meaningful conversations with non-Christians, we go to church, we live out what it means to be the church. And we don't do these things just to check them off on a checklist and say, well, I've done my, done my duty, I've done my stuff, just check. We do them because we want light everywhere. And the truth is, for some of us, as the light shines, as we try to, to, to pursue, and as we make ourselves available to, to have light shine in us, it's difficult, it's challenging, and sometimes it's actually uncomfortable. Because just like when the sun is too bright or too direct, we might shield our eyes because it's just too uncomfortable. Sometimes we do that in our lives too. Where we shield ourselves from the light being shone inside of us. What this might actually require then is that we actually take our hands from here to here. And we lower our hands from our eyes. And we begin to make ourselves choose to be vulnerable. Allowing the light to shine into the crevices of our life that has been hidden for a while from Jesus. Many of us might have secrets or a past that we aren't proud of. And we've been hiding from others and certainly hiding from Jesus. But Paul says that the foolish man hides these secrets. The foolish man hides from Jesus. Instead, when we lower our guard, when we humbly, vulnerably make ourselves available and allow that 10,000 lumen light to shine bright in our life, it doesn't just expose the darkness, but it clears out anything that's in there as well. Like a cockroach hiding in the corners of a closet, fleeing from the light, sin does the same thing. Sin and Satan run from the light. Satan doesn't like the light. He prefers the darkness. Because where the darkness is, that's where things can grow and fester. That's where lies are told. That's where lies are believed. And when we begin to convince ourselves that we are alone, because after all, when we are in the dark, it certainly feels like we're alone. There's no one else here. It's not until the lights are turned on that we realize that there are other people awakened with us. That Jesus is pouring His Spirit in us and through us as we walk awakened with Him. Which brings us to the last way that you and I can walk in the light. Paul writes in verse 18, Do not get drunk with wine, for that is dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit. Some of you may not know the difference between getting drunk on wine or the Holy Spirit. Either because you've, not, because you've never gotten drunk on alcohol or you've never experienced the Holy Spirit inside of you. For myself, I've experienced both sides. Here, though, Paul is contrasting and comparing simultaneously these two events. He's contrasting them in one sense because he's saying one is better than the other. One is actually more consistent with the light living in, in you than, than the other. One is, one is as, you, as you live in the light, 
As you were, as you were drunk in the Holy Spirit, you were actually imitating Christ the way that you were intended to. The similarity between the two is this, though. That whether you're drunk on alcohol or drunk on the Spirit of God, Paul understood that, you're, that in either case, that you are not in control. You know, I can look back in moments in my life and be amazed by the ways the Spirit of God has moved in my life because I wasn't in control. And God has done things in my life that I have been astounded by. If you were to ask me if I could do what I'm doing presently right now, interacting, sharing God's word before I became a Christian, I would have said, this is, that's absurd. There's no way I'm standing in front of people. There's no way I'm going to be teaching publicly about the Bible. I can also look back at moments in my life and be equally astounded at the stupidity and foolishness of my life when I was drunk on alcohol. Now, just as a point of clarification here, Paul is not saying that drinking is a sin. He's saying that the overindulgence of alcohol is. Getting drunk, that's where the sin is. There's some other parameters that I think limit our alcohol consumption too, but that's another sermon for another day. Contextually though, pagan worship was often centered around ways that worshipers could heighten their emotions. So they used music, dancing, sex, alcohol, to manufacture these emotions. The thinking was that if the, if the emotional frenzy was intense enough, that it would heighten their religious experience. This verse, though, do not be drunk on wine, but be drunk on the Holy Spirit, is actually a verse, it's actually a question of submission. Are you going to submit yourselves to the virtues of alcohol? Or are you going to submit yourselves to the virtues of the Holy Spirit? When we are filled with the Spirit of God, the Spirit moves inside of us. That we actually submit ourselves to God's truth and authority in our lives. We make ourselves available to move according to His direction. Over the years, I've had the odd conversation where people have said, well, church is just a crutch. Or Jesus is just a crutch. And my response is usually this. Yeah. He is. Yeah, the church is. I couldn't imagine going through this life alone, asleep in this dark world, stumbling through it, hoping that I'm not going to hurt myself or others too much. You know, I thought that, that wandering or being in, the, in my garage in the dark was dangerous. I couldn't imagine being in this world in the dark, wishing that I wasn't getting tossed back and forth in the midst of the darkness. But maybe for some of you, Maybe some of you, you need to be awakened by the light of Jesus. Maybe there's others who are listening or watching. You need the light of Jesus to shine his light on areas that you've kept secret. Or you have been avoiding talking with Jesus about. You've, just, you've created this, this wall, this barricade. And like my kids, you you're, you're, say you want to imitate, but it's impossible because you, haven't, because you can't see him. Maybe for others, though, you are realizing that there are moments in your life, those kairos moments that you need to start taking captive again. You need to be more aware, have an intentional awareness of where Jesus is at work in your life. Wherever you're at, though, would you pray with me now? Jesus, I need you in my life. I know that there is darkness in my life. And that in some ways, or even entirely, I've been asleep. 
Jesus, I need you to awaken me. I need you to awaken my heart, soul, and mind. Jesus, you are the light of the world that is distinct and separate from the darkness. I need your light in my life. And I ask that you would expose the dark things in my life and set me free. I pray for forgiveness. I pray for strength. And I pray for your spirit now. Amen.